This episode of Lightning Strikes Thrice is brought to you by our incredible patrons. Patrons like Letty White Rock and Joe Tato Chips. If you want to help us keep making the show like they do, you can visit pitchdrop.cash and contribute as little as a buck a month. We really appreciate it. Listening to Lightning Strikes Thrice, the JRPG Games Club podcast that is sapping its host's will to live. You fucking know it. This is Season 7, Episode 11, covering the Omega system, more like the beta system, in Xenosaga Episode 2 for the PS2. I'm your host, Chris Taylor. My pronouns are he, him. With me today is my fellow betas. Sybil Arnett, she, her, and I can't be a beta if I haven't left Alpha, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Feature incomplete. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ryan Beatty, they them. Matt Marcus, he him. Somebody tell me about what happened last time. I forget because game fucking sucks. <laughs> You've turned on it so much since I, I was it. the only one ripping into it. Oh, oh, it started so good, and there wasn't even a slow decline. It was just immediate off a cliff. Yep. Yep. Uh, last time, the party descended into Labyrinthos, the Utic stronghold on Old Melcia that unleashed the Gnosis Cataclysm on the galaxy and created horrible weapons of war in ages past, read 14 years ago. <laughs> At the heart of the complex was the original Zohar itself, as well as the zealot swordsman Margulis. With him out of the way, the party was free to get depression upon learning that Cecily and Kaith, the two Realian twins Shion had been tasked to save, were merged into a terrible living dream to pacify the Zohar and Udu, death their only escape. Speaking of escapes, the Space Pope ran off with the Zohar, powering a planet-sized robot known as Proto-Omega, which burst forth from the now-ruined Milsha to become its own galactic power. And now, the conclusion. I, I wasn't on the previous episode, but I gotta say, like, that last cutscene ruled. Like, that was... Like, back to form for me in terms of, like, oh, yeah, this is cool space shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were, there were moments of coolness last episode, like uh, the Jin and Margulis fight, and then the planet-sized angel exploding old Milsha. That shit was cool. I agree. Mm-hmm. So, when we resume, Pelligree is calling some other Utic schmuck who just suddenly gets executed live via Zoom call. Fuck yeah. <laughs> the game hides the shooter from us for just a moment, uh, long enough to get a you from her, and then immediately we pan upwards and see Dr. Dmitry Yuriev, who's just walking around icing motherfuckers, and he threatens to tell your commander I won't die. Not now. Not ever. Aboard the newly christened Omega System, 
which is the gigantic uh, planet-sized ES that now houses the Zohar. Paulo Margulis is listening to the Space Pope. Question, the Federation wants to destroy us that badly? Margulis, take the fleet and intercept. And then Margulis decides he's just not going to do that, and he reveals that his hologram has like a very convenient teleport when it would be the biggest dis feature. Turns out that Margulis is entirely happy to let the Pope die a martyr to inspire the ranks because he serves, quote, only one master, which causes the Pope to hiss out, Heinlein. When you There's, get cooked um, by your bishop, feels bad. <laughs> feels real bad. There, There <laughs> is so much confusion about who is giving orders to who and who is subservient to whom as far as like the powers that be between Utic and Ormus and who's secretly within the Federation and who Heinlein is. It's all a big fucking jumble of like, aha, but I am in fact the bad guy. Aha, but you are not in fact the last bad guy. It's just, it, it's a clusterfuck. Here's what I think it is. Right. And what I think it is, is that Margulis and Heinlein are real ones in terms of like the mission of the immigrant fleet. Right. And then the Pope mm -hmm. is like fucking off his rocker. And he's like, since we have the, since we're in charge of maintaining the Zohar, what if I used it to obtain godlike powers instead? And they ain't down with that. Mm. Mm. Is that correct? Or is it the other way around? Um. You're halfway there. The wrinkle to this is that I think I'm the only person who knows who Heinlein is. Great. Yeah. Yep. No, we saw him that's already, a, didn't we? That's the thing. Not on camera. No, yeah, this Margulis went to so. visit him after he left Space Church, right? He walked out. No, of you're, you're thinking of Sellers. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. You're right. Yeah, Heinlein has only been mentioned by name. I have a theory that we have met Heinlein before, but I'm not sure if this is a uh, me th like picking up context clues theory or a me distantly remembering Xenosaga 3 theory. So I think I know who Heinlein is, but I'm not sure. Okay, we can we can check that later. Yeah. Right. So. We cut back to the Elsa and Jin finds Xion weeping sitting at one of the tables in one of the lobbies or I guess it's the, the quarters. And before you can say anything more uh, then, so we've arrived at the Durandal. She just screams at him to leave her alone. And he lets her rant and rave for a little bit and then goes, so Feb cared for her sisters, but she also cared for you, you know, uh, which is why she trusted only you to do that. Whether you choose to withdraw from this harsh world or keep moving on, just know you will not be alone. And, this uh, stirs Xi'an out of her funk, and uh, she goes on ahead, leaving Jin to, uh, <laughs> to tell himself, fuck, I am so bad at, at this. Like, I'm so bad at being a brother. <laughs> yeah, bro. I was, yeah, I was so happy to hear that admission from him because I would get so mad at his patronizing bullshit sometimes. But also, I was really worried that the other person that Fabronia loved was going to turn into another like Cherenkov thing. And I was happy that instead it was just this convoluted, like, you know, Shion being like, why did I have to be the person to witness all that fucking trauma? I've seen enough. And Jin going, well, it's because Fabronia loved you. Like that was better than it being Cherenkov. In Jin's defense, he is stuck being the older brother of fucking Shion. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I've got a sister who's a Shion tier. Fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we cut to the bridge of the Durandal. An encoded transmission has arrived for Junior, and when he puts it on, he too does a you declarative statement. On camera, it's motherfucking Dmitry Yuriev. Uh-huh. He's uh he just lays out some shit we've discussed pretty openly that the game hasn't said yet. 14 years ago, Albedo did in fact contact Udu during the totally not a ritual the URTVs did on Milsha, and in doing so became tainted by the entity. Feel incredible that the game thought this was a reveal. Um now that Milsha is unsealed and the Zohar is in sync with the universe again, quote. Someone will attempt to make contact again. I need you to, need you to resolve this, Rubido. Junior's like, I'm not going to kill my brother, and I will make him stop his insanity, but not because you said so, Dad. Yuriev just goes, look, I don't care about how, why you do it. I'm just here for the results. Peace out. Hangs up. And before the scene ends, we see that Yuriev turns back into Guinan, who is just saying, Junior, don't trust my words. Uh, there's a scene way before this in the DS version which I didn't mention to avoid spoiling this, where Citrine straight up tells Guinan, oh no, you were designed wrong on purpose, so dad had a spare body. <laughs> Why would that be before this? Because this literally comes out of nowhere in this, and they use Citrine to sum up, no, I, I've been dad's agent after his fake death. I guess that makes sense since Citrine matters in the DS version. Yeah. They they go in more on this thing that comes out at the last 10% of the game in this one with no no uh, foreshadowing. Well, wait, for so if I remember correctly, Citrine said that both she and Negredo don't have those powers, right? They doesn't have the, the anti- The waveform, yeah. So does that mean that Citrine is like a double backup or like an alternative in case like Negredo dies that Yuriev could inhabit? Uh, not as far as we know. Uh, okay. She, she implied that she's basically the shutoff switch for if Ruby Doe goes out of control is, is right. kind of what that, that cutscene suggested. She is that, and she's also basically Yuriev's admin, keeping his affairs ready until he can just show up and do this. She engineers the Guinan transformation. And is it also like, there's like a weird sort of like female eugenics thing right to that element you know i'm not going to go that far into psychoanalyzing dmitry yuriev because i don't think i'd like the mirror it holds up to me <laughs> fair you want you also want to create magical clones to live forever do i <laughs> who wouldn't so you want to talk to Captain Matthews to go to the Omega system, and you want to tell him, screw you, old man, I'm going side-questing instead, because on the station you can find GS Quest 16, the Music Man. A man named Margoyles, no, I didn't mispronounce Margulis, <laughs> is apparently a popular musician, but only because he's been stealing compositions from a music box? This gave this man an 80-year career? Unfortunately, the box broke, and now you have to find a replacement. You will find it owned by a bodybuilder in the city. You need to do this to find his next composition, which he will give you as a reward, the Iron Four Sheet Music. If you don't have that, 
you can't open a wall with a piano to find segment address 16, which hides the Erde Kaiser's right leg. Okay. And if you don't remember, our, or we didn't mention it, Iron 4 is like an in-universe, I guess it's an anime, or is it a tokusatsu? I'm going to say toku. Okay. Uh, extremely funny that like 15 years or maybe even 20 years before that god awful movie about the dude who wakes up in a universe where the Beatles never existed and he just passes off all of the Beatles songs like they're his. Instead of just living a happy life. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of leaving the world a better place. <laughs> it was predicted by this game. I would love to live in the world where the Beatles didn't exist. Yeah. Am I the only person on this podcast who actually likes the Beatles? I, I do appreciate their contribution to <laughs> music history. I don't yeah. love them, though. Yeah, I don't, I don't listen to them all the time. Flashback sound, Matt. I don't have the musical taste of a grocery store. <laughs> hey, hey. I'm more of a Stones guy, to be honest. Here's the one good thing from Danny Boyle's shit heap yesterday, which sums up how poorly written the whole movie is and is an amazing burn. The guy spends like a week looking for anything else that has changed once he realizes the Beatles are also gone. It's basically Coke doesn't exist. Uh, the Beatles don't exist. And literally the only change he can find to the face of music is Oasis isn't around. That seems good. <laughs> That's good. That's an incredibly good joke, but also... Uh... There are a couple of other uh, GS missions here, including number 35, which we've titled Strapping Young Men. So a male character has to uh, start this quest, has to generate this quest, and they have to go talk to Camille on the roof of the Treasure Inn, and then you will play a little mini game to repair the roof. This quest determines the Erde Kaiser's head appearance based on the number of attempts you make. The minigame is just mashing O to repair cracks in the building, and it can be tried uh, an infinite number of times. You get Decoder 13 for this, which unlocks the chest with Erde Kaiser's head. We have basically done all of the Erde Kaiser GS missions now. This is the least offensive side quest in the game. Mm -hmm. Yep. I wish more were like this, just a little mini game that mm -hmm. failure didn't ruin your whole save file. We didn't complain about yeah. it, but yo, fuck those mice. Because it can be extremely hard depending on what character you have because oh, their yeah. animations take different yeah. lengths of time. I had Momo at first. And I was like, this is impossible. Yeah, no, it's even I did it with chaos and it was pretty tight. Like you really Ooh. have to get a little lucky with the RNG. Very easy with Jim. Mm. Oh, OK, fair enough. You know, the, the, the one thing about the, the nail thing, the reason why she doesn't want to do it and ask you to do it is because she doesn't have a hammer. All she has is a frying pan, like a cast iron frying pan, and she doesn't want to damage it. So she's going to let you damage it instead. Well, then she can build the foundation. <laughs> but that takes us to GS Quest 26, uh, which sucks. Uh, this is one we've talked about, well, at least have talked around a few times in like a couple of episodes. So this is the one where a kid got lost in the toy store. You find his father on the foundation and he says, oh, my son is stuck at FAO Schwartz in the Matrix. Please go save him. And so we have to make sure that we do it in the UMN and not do it in the real world, which would end up murdering this kid. Yep. Yeah. But anyway, so we go back to the 14 years ago, old Milsha, you know, the original tutorial level. And 
all you really get as a hint is that there's a giant star logo. And so you pretty much know where to go. So you get in there, there's a boss, you fight the boss. I, I think it like does like some decent flame attacks, like party-wide flame attacks, but otherwise it's not a very notable fight. Nope. No, this is this is not potent for this level of the game. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing that like really is the fuck you to this is you get the code to the door. And the code tells you it's a one-time use. You use it once and it's never going to work again. And so, you know, even though I knew I was at the right one in the UMN, I still got like that anxiety of like, oh shit, did I do, the, am I going to do the wrong one? Wait, no, I'm an idiot. Just put the numbers in and it works. But yeah, the, the code still works on the door. It would be hard to go to the <laughs> wrong one because they literally tell you he did a UMN dive. To be fair, you also have to use the UMN to go to the new Milsha. Sure, but that's only because game mechanics. You're not actually in the UMN there. That's like you just going back to Old Milsha. No, Old Milsha blew up. Yeah, you, you know. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you don't physically go back to Submerged City. Uh, you go through the UMN. So I guess you can be fooled by yeah, going to the so. wrong huh. version. Yeah, yeah, that's that's literally the trick is you'd think, oh, yeah, this quest is so easy, but it doesn't tell you which toy store. It just goes, he's in the Matrix. They're both the Matrix. Anyway, shout outs to how the boss's name Death Grips and is uh, extremely weak to aura and has low HP and you can kill it in one round. You can also farm this mm -hmm. boss if you're Matt and uh, for skill upgrades. It... Oh, no. Uh, is this one also a skill upgrade? E D boss? and E. Oh, okay, because I did not do that <laughs> this time. Uh, saving the kid gets you the successful and allows you to finish the post game. Otherwise, you can kill the worst version of it in modern day and still get a reward. And uh, sorry, your kid's dead. I did not want to do this whole fight and go through the whole dungeon and everything to see the bad scene. I should have looked it up for the notes. I'm sorry. But yeah, he does reward you either way. I don't know why. That is strange. It would make more sense if it dropped off the bus. It really would. Or that, like, the kid hands it to you and you find it on his body in the present day. I don't know. I just realized that I just talked about a child as being, like, the much more grim version of those time-locked treasure chests from Chrono Trigger. Woof. Anyway, eventually you have to enter the Omega System, the game's final dungeon. This place is absolutely massive, consisting of a full-scale ES dungeon with a second human-scale dungeon attached. The first area has you on an elevator you can constantly raise, lower, or stop at every floor. In each direction are two wings, usually one with a visible enemy, and some explody boxes around. This is indicative to me of the kind of dungeon that this will be, because... While it is a full-scale ES dungeon and a full-scale human-scale uh, dungeon uh, thrown together, neither of them are particularly interesting. All of the diverticula until the very end are extremely short and simple, and the only actual puzzle, like, interesting puzzle in this whole thing, to go to an optional area that doesn't even give you very cool shit. So, like, Oh my god. I tried that for an hour before I gave up and looked it up. Oh, I, uh, I played a lot. Well, we'll talk about it when it comes, but I enjoyed that puzzle, but because I'm a sicko. Anyway, yeah, this is Same. two full-scale dungeons, but they're both bland. And the music sucks. Yes. 
The budget for a lot of things falls apart in this dungeon real heavily. Wait till we discuss cutscenes. Near the bottom is an incredibly dumb contrivance near a save point, a bridge which says, you can't cross this in an ES, and refuses to let you disembark. From memory, I think this is just here for if you revisit this place to skip ahead. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, uh, when you come back here, you start as, you know, you choose to go as character level. You take the elevator down and then you walk through a, a couple of rooms and pick up a bunch of items, including Decoder 5. Because the, the infuriating thing is there's a section here where you're in your ES and there's some like human sized explodable boxes and you can't blow them up in your ES. But you can blow up the giant barriers that are like throughout that room, no problem. And it's really just telling you, come back after you finish the dungeon. Post-game padding. The actual point you can disembark at leads into a room which will open two doors for the mechs, and it introduces some of the worst standard enemies in the game, the Ormus Knights. Have you ever played Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne? Did you fall victim to the AI in the Mott fight using Beast Eye repeatedly to give itself more turns and create ludicrous chains? Ormus Knights have this skill in the form of an ability that gives them a plus one boost stack, and they can chain off of each other. This introductory pair is only two of them. Later runs in this dungeon set up four in a pincer attack, and five of them just chain boosting and slaughtering as some buff and others kick in your teeth. I have a lot to say about the Ormus Knights. A lot to say. So, okay. <laughs> First of all, yeah, the group of five, absolutely the most difficult standard encounter in the game to me. I would half the time just do a Shion escape to get out of the fight and then maybe re-engage them and see if the configuration changed. So one cool thing about them, when they power up, they yell Ormus. One fucking bizarre <laughs> thing about true. them. They have a move called Geodeca's Breath. Geodeca is Italian for Jewish people. In southern Italy, it's what the Jewish quarter of a lot of, like, Sicilian towns was called. And so, extremely, extremely mm. weird to uh, have an attack called Italian Jew's Breath. Yeah, that is strange. Uh, oh, I didn't mention this earlier, but I, did we ever say on the podcast that all of the ESs are named after the 12 tribes of Israel. Yes. Did we? Okay. I don't, we have I don't mentioned remember. it in passing, if not deep dived it. Yeah. I was reminded of that when I'm, when I was like on the wiki and I looked up all of their names and I'm like, wait a fucking second. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I'm like, I know Asher was a, you know, a Jewish name and, and Dinah was a Jewish name, but the other ones just like Zebulon, whatever. Yeah. No, these guys, yeah huge pain in the ass right because you have the spear guys Are they? who will do a fuck ton of it like the sword guys will knock you on the ground then what will happen is that the spear guys will boost into that and just pummel you and yeah they can just do eight or nine turns in a row and just basically wreck your whole party so what happened to me in this dungeon there is one item i think it's a secret key and it's right at the end of the on foot section before you go back into the es and I got absolutely destroyed by that fight. Game over, had to do the whole section over again, which was infuriating. 
So what I ended up doing is I, I ended up going all the way back to that point before that fight, went back, saved, ran back, and then fought them because I was like, I'm not fucking doing this a third time. Makes sense. All these fights were basically free for me because I updated um, Cosmos and Jin to just basically have a double power EP regeneration and um, EP half. So Momo at this point had learned the AOE equivalent of Annihilation. So every time Cosmos and Jin just got a turn, they just used boost one, which cost four EP, which I regenerated every turn. And then we just boosted back into Momo to keep spamming it. And I just burned through the 75 Ether Pack S's because what else am I going to do with them? <laughs> so killed them all in three turns. No problem. Don't give a shit if it cost uh, 40 some EP per battle. It's fine. Wait, so the Annihilation attack is uh, a spell is... No, there's an AOE equivalent of it that's very expensive in um, Class H. Oh, yeah. because Annihilation is like Muriel, Miracle Star that removes um, enemy buffs. Uh, but it also does does a bunch of damage which i know because i read into it in the post game and it was a huge pain in the ass huh yeah well so does miracle star that's what i'm saying it's just more expensive but it must be like 72 what seventy-two thousand or 7200 uh skill points yeah jesus yeah like there's just not enough skill points in the game to really unless you're doing super specialization which i wasn't really doing this time oh. I definitely figured out what I was going to do at the very beginning because I had played this blind before and knew what it would be like if I did not. Yeah. So just uh, three rounded all these guys burn through like 50 some ether pack S's. But what else am I going to do with them? Pay off Captain Matthews's debt. Already did <laughs> it. Just saying. As one final FU, this on-foot detour hides not one, but two switches at the end of long corridors, which you need to hit to keep the mech from progressing. So if you are not going through every room like an obsessive crazy person, you're going to go out, see that you opened a door, get a little further with the mech, and then have to backtrack all the way to hit the second switch. It's great. After this segment... You come to a giant robot-sized elevator where you park the giant robot since the elevator doesn't work yet. So you disembark and you climb in a very actually functional and identically designed human-scale elevator instead. This is made even dumber by the fact that the reason the robot-scale elevator doesn't work is twofold. Uh, it's out of power, and also there is a timer-based lock system engaged which will not allow the elevator through unless disengaged all at once. You would think that the latter means split the party up, have them all push a button, but in fact, instead, you have to carefully manage your order of operations down a massive descending st staircase to pull this off. This is made triply obnoxious for a few reasons. Number one, every time you fail, you have to watch the ES on the platform lift all the way back to the top before it lets you reset. This sucks. The other thing that sucks is that the middle one has a human scale door on the other side of it that I thought, oh, that means that I need to rest the elevator platform here so I can run across and go to that door instead of backtrack to it <laughs> way later. And so I purposely didn't close the elevator uh, or didn't open the elevator lock here. And then it bonked and slowly went all the way back up. Uh-huh. So dumb. And also, oh, here's another reason why it's annoying. The context-sensitive areas where you, like, actually push the button or, you know, board the elevator or whatever um, are pretty finicky in this game. And so 
it like takes a little bit of like nudging sometimes to find the exact right point on which to press circle and uh, actually open the lock. And so that also sucks. Right. Like there's no sense of how long the timing is as well. So like I definitely failed the first time because I opened the first one, uh, the second one way too early. Yeah. And then I failed a second time because of that context, you know, like trying to hit the button. I missed it by probably like a quarter of a second. <laughs> and I opened it as soon as it like hit it, hit the plane and then went back up. And so I had to do it a third time, which is just, it's not hard. It's just annoying. Thank you, turbo mode. <laughs> oh, uh, the other the thing that actually will really fuck you on this. And I didn't even notice this until like the third try if you're not perfectly running straight down these stairs, if you're like angled at all, you're going to be hitting the wall and losing a lot of speed, like a lot of horizontal motion. Mm -hmm. And like, so, and because of the perspective, it can be really hard to line that up perfectly all the time. So you could just end up like chewing up like 10 seconds or five seconds because you're not running cleanly. Mm -hmm. This is the ending dungeon the game deserves. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, kind of is. Eventually, you get the lock sequence down correctly, and it drops, and you can climb back into the robot, at which point an incredibly unfinished silent cutscene of a boss teleporting in begins to play. And this is where we fight Inversion, who is one of the nastiest bosses in the game, depending on how informed you are when you come into this fight. Because if you come in blind, this mech is full of a lot of really shitty tricks, and status effects and at a certain point it'll give itself uh like instant counters so like if you're not really paying close attention or you don't understand what it's trying to tell you it'll just it, it's just a fucking gotcha machine and also on the back half it has an attack that is just like fuck you zebulon i'm gonna kill you <laughs> but to make matters even worse it nullifies half of the damage types in the game so beam thunder and ice and only takes 75 percent damage from physical so even like your special skills you know you got your your emax 300s on everybody probably by now they're still not super effective especially because most of them are not all physical but anyway let's take this move by move it'll spend the first two turns analyzing the enemy combat powers you'll get a little message that pops up and then it'll tell you it's set up a counter boost plugin based on either hp ec or bc and you want to keep track of what that value stat is, because if you attack it while in violation of Inversion's rules, you'll immediately get counterboosted, and it sucks. If it locks onto your HP, you need to let it hit you and not heal, because it will boost if your health is equal to or greater than its scanned value. If it locks onto your EC, make sure you gain some and don't spend it. It boosts if you're equal or lesser than the scan. And if your boost gauge, attack once and you're fine. And it only because it only counters if you're equal to the initial scan value. When you drop the inversion to half health, it's going to gain two new attacks, ether jamming, which tends to be aimed only at Zebulon, blocking ether use with solid damage, which is fine. Have character with the skill that resists this, because then the mech is immune to it. And high shout, which is the most potent attack, it has a beam thunder combo that hits like a truck and induces charge down. This sounds like a long slog. But you can actually take this thing out with a minimum amount of pain if you know the two tricks. A, it's very vulnerable to blind. 
if you hit it with any status, um, blind is the best because that's uh, extremely weak to it. It loses the counter boost for five turns. You use this turn to charge up, getting Zebulon to 300 if you can, since if you put Ziggy in the Zebulon as co-pilot, it gets a move that just basically kills Inversion, a Meteor Blast, which is an Aether Attack combo that costs 300 and does a massive fire damage. And on a boss with just shy of uh, 50,000 HP, this tends to land around 10,000 or so without any buffs. So if you boost the mech first and fire it off on an Aether Plus panel turn, you can melt half the boss's life off with a single attack. All right. So, God. I, in my, like, you know, I, I'm pretending like I'm respecting the urgency of the plot, just I just because I hate the side quest so much, and so I'm, you know, this is the narrative of the Ryan Beatty playthrough, whatever. Everyone knows this. I was also really resistant to use a strategy guide for this fight, and so I would just, like, go in with different combinations of people in the pilot and co-pilot seat and, like, trying these different attacks, and they would all do, like, between 200 and 1,000, and it felt... It feels to me like a puzzle boss where the puzzle itself is really, really obscure uh, and there aren't too many hints on it. Like you can maybe, maybe figure out if it's Meteor Blast if you analyze it first, but like, ugh. So then I finally stumble upon Meteor Blast, which I didn't even know about because my uh, one ES plus accessory that actually gives you the ability to stock up to 300 was on a different mech this whole time. I stumbled across it and it was just like three turns and it was down. It was wild. I just turbo moded through what would have probably been a 30 minute fight. It was fine. I just numbers through <laughs> it using healing. I don't care if I do a thousand a hit. I, I'm going to uh, disrespect my time. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's basically what I ended up doing. Like, I was playing with a guide, and the guide didn't really explain how the counter boost mechanic worked at all. So I was just kind of like, ah, I guess I'll just keep hitting it and then heal up afterwards. And yep. it was a little time consuming, but it wasn't hard. I'm very curious of all the bosses in this dungeon, how many of you figured out these obscure mechanics and how many of you are going to be really mad when I tell you how you can cheap through them. Well, all the other <laughs> bosses were unbelievably easy. Yeah, definitely non-threatening. I, I hit with the whole game without bothering to change pilots. It's fine. All right. boss fight we start getting a series of block puzzles the first one has no fail state you are in a room where cubes have one glowing weak point side you can only blow them up from that angle walk around the room blowing things up from the right angle to progress further and further until the room is clear and you can walk out the door there's no enemies so there's no real urgency i like this one this is like a classic like link to the past dungeon puzzle it's very chill mm-hmm it's a task. It's it's like that. 
there's a there's a room that's like this that's dark and linked to the past. I think when you're going up the Light World Castle, that's what it reminds mm. me of. Mm. Yeah, I could absolutely see this being one of those. Oh yeah, this is nice. So you you could take it at your own pace. Yes. There's no fail state. You are never wasting time in this room. Especially since at 200% speed, this music sounds like a bad version of the Light World Dungeon music, which, Matt, you should put this in here at double speed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, the second one resembles a lot of old browser-based puzzle games. PopCap had a version of this, for instance. There are three colors of cube, and if you destroy one, you destroy every connected cube of the same shade. I'm too fucking stupid for this. So I love this puzzle specifically. Okay, so Alexei Pajitnyov uh, made a second game after Tetris called Breakthrough with a yep. just a U that was this. And I got so deep into playing that uh, the SNES version of Breakthrough as my idol game for like years and years. So when I saw this puzzle, I like actually marked out a little bit i was like oh shit it's breakthrough uh and i did it you know did it in one try those 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 muscles they don't go away fucking love this hey i'm gonna ruin your childhood memories okay pagetnov didn't design it whoa the box says and they make sure to be very careful about this alexi pagetnov introduces breakthrough they paid him for his photo but it was designed by a random japanese guy Wow. My mind is blown. Yeah. Still love that game. Oh, yeah. It's a very good game. I'm also fond of this style of puzzle. And if anyone happens to know good modern versions, because the last one I have is legitimately the 20-year-old PopCap version of this, let me know. I'll absolutely uh, get down with that. Yeah, same. Anyhow, the goal of this game is to leave yourself a pattern of two high blocks all the way across so the party can get out of the mecha and just walk this bridge. Once you do it once, it locks in forever. They're nice about that. It's another one of those puzzles. Please note, however, this puzzle is entirely optional. There are two paths out of this room. One of them involves clearing this to make a bridge for human-scale characters, and it has more interesting content, so we'll follow that. But if you just do not give a rat's ass about solving this. You can just walk out the door to the left in the ES and you exit the entire dungeon and walk through tainted space for about a mile to just traverse the Udu engulfed madness of the system with a bunch of identical enemies in your path for a few screens. Yo, that sounds sick. It uh, it looks it, it looks extremely cool, too. I mean, you, you get some of that same outdoor looking environment on the on foot path, but like there's like thunder everywhere. And it's the it's like the the kind of golden uh, panels along the floor and the walls. And then there's just this like glowing orb of power in the center that you're circling. It's all right. It's pretty cool. The problem is you are just walking through. Identical yeah. encounter after identical encounter after identical encounter. Nothing changes. The human path here. is strictly superior in that you all the uh, hardest fights in the game are optional. Yeah. Yeah. And these are some nasty ES enemies. Like these are end game tier bastards. Mm hmm. Mm. Well, here's the other thing, though. You don't want to go down the ES route because there are secret key items in the human route. But if you already have but. to come back to this dungeon anyway, why not do it a second time through? 
or if you turn off the game and delete the ROM off your computer forever once you see the credits, don't uh, really care about that either. Well, the thing is, you don't when you go back uh, in the UMN. There's really only one that one little section with the with the narrow bridge you can go in. You can't go all the way. I guess you could just walk all the way through the dungeon, but it's really not worth it. The only items you really need to revisit for are like decoder five and the couple other items that are in there. So like you don't really want to do it. Now, granted, you could go down the mech route and then circle back and do the back way through the human route. So you don't have to do the puzzle, I guess. I did that. But... <laughs> Is that what you did? Full sicko hours, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just went the human route. The The annoying thing, though, is I went back through this room. Uh, one of the Ormus Knights here, um, he respawns, which is really annoying. That really shouldn't be a respawn point. No. If you solve the puzzle, the path is pretty straightforward. There is just a... It's basically a space equivalent of a back alley for a while, with Ormus Knights blocking some junction points. Until you enter the Hall of Piss Crystals. <laughs> oh my the god. The Hall of Rest and Piss Crystals is more <laughs> like it. True. Fucking true. So, okay. Probably the best the best possible thing you can do here is not to blow any of these crystals up in this uh in this outer hallway. Or to save state and load right before right before and after each one. Yep. Uh, I yep. also did some of that. Uh, uh so the, yeah unless you desperately need some of the some of the healing items that are from some of the drops uh or you look up on a guide exactly where the the enemies pop out because these next halls can say, contain sets of uh explodable crystals three of which contain extremely potent and nasty mini bosses who can strike your party down with force and who can contain a just suicide idly nasty gimmick so each each of the two screens here they they each contain the the trio so there are three crystals containing one of each boss and they are modeled after odin the horseman valkyries who the winged lancer and thor who's a massive hammer wielder they will combo knock down air juggle boost and counter boost and uh they are honestly more difficult than any of the actual boss the uh, the human scale boss encounters in this dungeon so you have to treat them like that or just not engage with them the absolute fuck you trick here which is the thing that caused me not to engage with any of them is once they get down to around 30 to 40 ish percent health you get a boost warning that uh there's been a nanomachine malfunction it will interrupt a combo just to tell you that and as soon as that happens, you cannot let them take another turn because they will do a pierce attack that will murk the party for several thousand damage, probably instantly killing everybody. And heal the full. They also yeah, heal the heals full. The full. Yeah. <laughs> Infuriating. Yeah, it's, un it's unbelievably upsetting. So what you have to do here is uh, have a party that would be able to, with restock each get someone down you know four thousand plus health and they're not identical they each have their own name and their own elements and stats but the strategy is the same which is you very very carefully whittle them down and edge them to their breaking point so that you don't set off the healing and killing phase then you stock up and you just burst damage them down to nothing 
or you spend time preparing everybody in a chain of buffs, elements, and combos, and knock down elemental chain and body slam them from 100 to 0 in one go. Love also, to be edged to the breaking point. <laughs> also, as one final, just eat shit from this game. Every single one of them has a break point that requires two people to damage, so you can't even do knockdown without prep. You have to use a boost to even get them to the breakable state. Yeah, I ran right into this wall immediately. Like, I blew up the first crystal. I think it's, remember, I had the guide, right? And I'm like, all right, the guide's going to tell me which crystals has the items in it. And I thought there's like a little bit of vagueness. Like, it's not exactly on the spot. So I blew up the wrong one and got into a fight with Odin and just got hosed. (laughs) Odin is the hard one. The other two are fine. Uh, I thought Thor Thor was the first one I ended up working out on. The thing is, like, Thor in particular has an attack that'll just do, like, 900 damage, which it would pretty much just, you know, if he hits twice on Momo, Momo's dead no matter what the fuck you do. So, like, I, I fought each one of these guys because I was like, all right, I'm going to try to figure this out. I'm going to try to kill each one of them once. And the thing is, they drop an item called Ether Cores. And in my head, I thought, you know, the description of it is like, uh, you could use it to repair a broken Ether Drive. And I'm thinking, wow, you know what that means? That means it's probably something that can make my ESs that don't have Ether be able to use Ether. Wouldn't that be incredible? So what I did is I fought one, I beat it, and I said, all right, now I'm going to go back to the ES section and see if I can use that to give all of my ESs, you know, ether casts. So I walk all the way back. I fight another one of those uh, Ormus Knight groups. I get into the ES, realize it doesn't do shit, and then have to fight the same fucking fight again to go back to the save point right before the boss, which is, again, infuriating. <laughs> and the other dark twist about that is that the even though that it's slow, the ES scale side those enemies also drop ether cores and they're much easier to manage Mm -hmm. yeah and the thing is they're not even worth that much credits like they're worth four thousand, which is Mm. nothing Mm -hmm. so it's not like you're going to want to farm these guys in order to pay off the debt like the actual farming method for paying off the debt if you're not using orgula uh is going to come up at the end of this episode and that's a whole thing (laughs) anyway After this hallway, you come into a little oasis where you have a crystal stairwell with a giant art installation in the middle of it. Blowing this thing up uh, will unlock a save point, which is the last one in the dungeon. You can use it right now. In fact, you should use it right now. Of note, if you did take the ES pass, this is the room where you rejoin with the other one. So this is where the, the loop closes. So you disembark there and you end up on foot and then you save at the save point. So from there, you take the transit cube behind the save point and end up in a weird new part of the dungeon where junior will see a uh, holographic computer interface proceed to silently do absolutely nothing with it and then slams his fist on it, which makes no fucking sense. He's smashing that fucking like button. (laughs) 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 Ah, shit. Uh, But if we haven't stressed this point enough, This is where the game's budget is clearly falling apart and everything is becoming extremely bare bones, particularly these cutscenes. But smashing the hollow PC makes it disappear somehow. 
And from the ground rises a full Gothic cathedral complete with floating statues and tentacle gates. You're probably imagining this and going, oh, that's where the space pope is hiding, of course. And the thing is, you are wrong. This is just another boss battle where you're fighting a church. Yep. I want to know how many of you did this the accidental easy way and how many of you had to engage with the phase gimmick. I don't know. There was a phase gimmick, but I didn't do anything because even if you get punished, you only take 300 damage. Yeah, this right. uh, this fight was extremely easy for even me. I kept waiting for some kind of like final fuck you attack that never came. But I had fun. Yeah, yeah. I thought the mirror. I I heard the mirror attack would basically kill a character, but all you got to do is swap them out until the mirror darkens, so it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I pretty much just powered through it. I, I do. I did know all the tricks, of course. Mm -hmm. so the cathedral's gimmick is the trinity of statues that float around the apex of the structure when the battle begins the statue known as white robe is perched atop the building and it's just going to perform uh, a really shitty beam attack called love of the virgin and uh, does like a hundred damage whenever someone attacks it you'll see the message the wheel of memory begins to move and you're supposed to not do anything if a male character attacks next, the statue will change to Call to Arms, a apparently incredibly powerful physical attacker, which will counterform the move Sodom Quake every time a woman hits it. It's also going to begin pummeling the party with <laughs> Roar of Lucifer, a launcher move it might combo off of. Inversely, if a woman hits it, and this is what I got, when the wheel moves, Cry of the Rapture takes the perch and the cathedral becomes an ether-based blaster which um, starts mixing elements and hard counters to the face if a man hits it. Uh, so I only had Jin, not a problem here. Be enough to trigger one of these modes. The battle is probably going to be a lot more fraught for you, especially if you don't figure out the gender issues. Now, the cheap way to do this is get everyone geared up, stocked up, and boost max, and just go to town in an elemental combo, knocking it down. Yes, you can knock down a church, and then spend around stocking afterwards, because if you keep the chain going, all your strike is going to do is make its next move Wheel of Memory. And then if you're just stocking instead of punching it, it doesn't change statues. The issue here is that at half health, Cathedral learns a new trick, Memories of Guadalupe. It will eyeball a character one turn, and if that person is still in the party the next time it moves, they die. Instant KO. However... This is not a scripted kill, so if you cast something like Safety Level or Best Ally that prevents a death, they live. You can also just swap someone into their slot and the spell fails. It is worth noting that White Robe is the safe way to take this thing out with minimum hassle, but it does possess a healing skill for 8,000 a pop, so stalling too long can prolong this battle. This fight was fucking on one, but, but beyond, like, the attack called love of the virgin also uh, when it's starting to do its gendered shit it says something like the cathedral desires a woman or something uh -huh. like that yeah um, and i was just like whoa okay and so i freaked out and just like every time that i that i saw a gendered thing come up i would just swap out my entire party for the other gender and so i had a, i fought this part with both an all women party and an all men party simultaneously Probably made it take longer, but it was fine. I didn't see Memories yeah, of Guadalupe even once. But also, like, this is... It cannot be stressed enough how much you are fighting a cathedral. Like, it, it's like yeah. the monster house from Final Fantasy VII. Uh, because it's just, like, 
it is a monstrous manifestation of a fucking church building. It is wild. That's what you get for disrespecting computers. <laughs> I mean, it's basically like extra Catholic Alexander, right? Yeah, like the Alexander summon. Mm-hmm. Also, kind of like a, it's a castle. I do have the boss quotes right here. They're pretty good. Call to arms awakens, awakened the male's instinct to fight. Yeah. Cry of the rapture awakens, desire for females surges. That's what it is. And if desire you hit it with the wrong gender, uh, one of them gives you, I have no interest in the wicked as its counter. And the other gives you, I have no interest in the damned. Huh. Yeah. Huh. So, and again, after this Sodom quake. Yeah, Sodom <laughs> quake. So, after this fight, uh, you want probably want to go back a room and save, and then whenever you're ready, you you're gonna pilot the cube into the golden abyss because it is popin time. As everybody starts preparing to confront Sergius, and Shion is preparing to lecture him. Boom, Albedo just materializes out of nowhere. And he goes, yo, Rubido, which I thought was extremely funny. Yes. <laughs> I, think, I think you meant it starts popping off. Yes. It, <laughs> <laughs> it does indeed start popping off. So uh, he just like teleports in in the naked Terminator pose with the lightning orb. Uh, and he's been just like gone. He's just disappeared and was presumed dead, even though we knew that he was not dead since the end of disc one in the PS2 version. You, you know what I uh, what I'm probably going to do for the episode art is I'm going to take that Yo Ruby dough and then uh, change it to Yo What's Popin. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Correct. Put some sunglasses on there. Like, yo, Amazing. <laughs> um. So during the conversation, Albedo's like, you look happy to see me. And fucking Junior in the biggest mood of the entire game is like, yeah, as if I could ever be happy, dumbass, which is relatable. Yeah, (laughs) so relatable. So the Pope and Albedo uh, exchange some like anime declarative statements at one another. And then the game just goes like nuts for a little for like a minute and Albedo begins flying around using his cape as wings and shooting key blasts at the Pope. It's so fucking good. It's, it's wild. Really good. Yeah, it, it makes no damn sense. This unfortunately eventually fails when it turns out the guy who has the Zohar in his back pocket can just like wait you out behind a shield and then blast you with an even bigger laser. But Albedo just gets back up because the unstoppable force has uh, just met the Amupin. I'm not gonna, that's a trap. I'm so mad that you just barreled over that joke. No, 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 no. I knew, I knew, uh, I, I, I was, rather, I saw the word nonce, and I was like, not saying that, and then I saw that it was- I'll read it. The unstoppable nonce has just met the immovable objectivist. <laughs> However, he proceeds to disintegrate at all the while claiming, go ahead, annihilate my form. You can't remove me from the cosmos. While being like fucking stringified by the Pope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an unbelievable line as Junior runs over to his brother in horror. He's like, Rubido, don't forget to breathe deep and inhale the particles that composed me. 
just oh my god dude yeah scenery chewing shit it's un uh-huh. it's unreal also so for those who are keeping track albedo's role in this game has been one wait for everyone to spring the trap that he said at the end of xenosaga one appear for exactly one boss fight before winning and gaining cosmic awareness phasing out of reality for the remaining half of the game and then appearing for under five minutes of cutscene before he disintegrates. And also they bring back the whole like, oh, Albedo and Rubido's relationship is the emotional cornerstone of the game back here. And we see Junior being sad all of a sudden. It's weird. Sergius then begins cracking up and we start the fight with Hey, asshole, the only one who kills my brother is me. So that starts the Sergius Pope fight. First things first, you want to steal Awakening 4 from this guy. It unlocks Bliss and Miracle for Chaos and Momo. And here's the thing. This is technically the fastest way to grind for money at the end of the game to pay off the debt for Captain Matthews. I don't know why I bothered to steal which is absolutely, absolutely wild. Because because the thing is, you're going to be able to do this fight multiple times on a save file because of the way you get to the end of the game, you get a clear file, and you get sent back to before this fight. So you just have to run this fight like 20-something times, including all of the, the stuff at the end of the game we're not talking about today, and all the credits just so that you can pay off that debt. It is ridiculous. Do you love him or not? (laughs) No. And then we find out it's not even his fault. It's the professor's fault that he's a million dollars in debt. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Unbelievable. Uh (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is a uh, two-phase boss fight, and... Not in the usual Xenosaga two-way, where at half health, he gains a bunch of attacks and usually starts boosting themselves like crazy. The first form here is effectively a long gear check. It has less HP, way uh, fewer attacks, and it only uses aura damage. So if you set on some shields, like if you put on like, uh, what is it, aura Mm -hmm. coat, and you have like double power on, like no problem at all. Occasionally, the mech behind him will get a turn, and it just does nothing. It just ends up burning a slot in the uh, in the event slot rotation. The second is where everything goes to hell. And this is, like, the way this happens was hilarious to me. Because you do the fight, you go to the end of battle screen, the battle results screen, and then you hear the Pope say, Oh, it's not over yet. And then it shatters and you're back I, in the fight again. Just absolutely it. incredible. Cannot beat that. Mm-hmm. So good. <laughs> yeah. It was extremely It was like sick. the first time it really went like meta in a way that I and really And we may enjoy. as well yeah. say, this is the final boss fight. Yes. Yes, this is the final boss fight. Uh, this is not the last fight, but it's the, really the last fight. Yeah, this is our safer Seth Roth. Okay, yeah, I had no memory of this being, like, the end game here. And so when I stopped, like, because we do have another dungeon after this. There's just not, There's like, no enemies in it, and there's one huge... story battle you can't it's lose. It's one screen long. Yeah. Wait, really? So yeah. this is, like, the last dungeon? This is dungeon? the end. Oh, damn. Yes. Yeah, you, the, the last one's unwinnable, or, sorry, unlosable. 
Okay, I remember the last dungeon being like so much longer and more obnoxious than this, but I think it's because I was shoving together Proto Omega and Labyrinthos together because you they happen one right after the other. And so I was just yeah. like, oh God, the last dungeon of Xenosaga 2 is so fucking long. And then when this was over, I was like, wait, this is the, the end? Huh. Fuck it. Since we're discussing this right now, on the DS, the time-space anomaly is an actual dungeon, and the albedo fight is an actual battle you can lose. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, is it a good fight? Yeah, it's an actual climax to the game. Cool. So that reeks of unfinishedness. Yes. Mm-hmm. But anyway, second phase. Sergius then uh, gills out. I, I don't understand that reference nobody plays third strike really uh no i don't play gil because i'm not a bitch the final boss of street fighter 3 has a super art called resurrection if you kill him when he has meter he instantly revives to full oh that's infuriating yeah you have to bait out an attack so he's not at full uh, when you kill him ha but anyway he burns meter to cast resurrection uh, realizes that he has a giant Zohar-powered mecha directly behind him and begins unloading more and more attacks on you as you drop his even larger health pool than the first round. Every quarter of his health that you drop in this phase, he adds a new attack to his rotation, first speeding himself up, then activating the Proto-Omega and gaining Curse of the Gartes, which is his most brutal move, and... Finally, he starts uh, comboing when he has a fully active robot. But we, we haven't mentioned this earlier in the game because it hasn't come up, but there's this status effect called Curse, and if you're inflicted with it, every bit of damage you do is also reflected on you, and I believe it also blocks boosting. Is that, or is that a different I think that's effect? a variant one of the post-game bosses does. Okay. The plus 20% status resist ability that uh, or skill that you can uh, equip or that I, don't, I actually don't even think it's equip. It, I think you just. Yeah, it's master. Anyway, you unlock it. That's the. OK, yeah, uh, it's master. There's two actually. There's two. There's one you equip and there's one you master. OK, yeah. Well, I had both of them uh, and I never once uh, the, the curse always missed me. Really? Okay, I know by yeah. default it's 100% effective. I didn't know that would reduce that percentage. You can also dodge it with your regular evasion, mm -hmm. which yeah. since the swimsuit gives you agility oh. plus two and you have double power, yeah. I took 600 damage this entire fight. I got hit twice between phase one and phase two. Yeah, so that, that, that could be it. I dodged it a few times and it didn't curse me once. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, the, the annoying it. thing, we haven't mentioned this either but there are two levels of status effect there's an l and an h so like low and high and like if it's a low status effect it's like pretty easy to clear because you probably have an uh, antidote l in your inventory or you just use refresh l and it's no big deal unless you're fucking ziggy who can't refresh fucking anything because it's based on your ether stat <laughs> your ether <laughs> attack stat yep like i hate that heals in this game uh status effect heals can fail that is infuriating well there's also that thing that does it for part of your hp you can just do uh that's um cleanse yeah that but that takes half your health yeah uh, eh. who cares who cares it costs four mp to get it back and you regenerate four mp a turn if you're built right who gives a shit it's free 
Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't unlock that with anybody because I'm like, I'm never going to use this. I'm probably going to, at worst, chuck an item at somebody and it's no big deal. I had tons of antidote H's, so I was fine. Or yeah. like, I had five of them. Yeah, and the thing is, these aren't, I don't think Curse is a H level. You don't really see H level much unless you get hit with the same status effect twice. Certain bosses have H. Yeah, post-game bosses have H. Oh, yeah. For sure. But uh, most of his new moves are more potent versions of the phase one moves. For instance, like an aura attack um, with a 50% status proc. But two of them are in a league of their own. One of them is the UMN phase cannon, which is an all party ass kicker beam from the mech. And I think didn't even know the mech actually did stuff. Only in the final quarter of this fight. Yeah, if you're like doing the whole, you know, chaining people and like doing a ton of damage in one route, you could probably just like fly right past these. Yeah, because he's weak to physical. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's a fucking pope. What a what a like, I get that he's an old man and it's very funny that an old man is weak to being punched in the face. But still, I mean, look, in this game, we have to beat the pope, which means we beat the pope. So the other attack is Crossroads of Dimensions, which is an all-party wallop that launches, meaning that if the robot takes a turn after him, uh, somebody on your team is probably going to be dead. A lesser threat that you should probably be aware of, uh, the old man's going to begin boosting his speed. Don't let him take too many turns and uh, hit him with debuffs, uh, which is something I did not do because I didn't debuff a enemy at all this entire game like i tried twice and it didn't land and i'm like screw it this isn't worth it why would Mm -hmm. i do that yeah but you know you just go through this beat him down and the pope is dead now the funny thing about this fight in particular and this is probably something i should have realized earlier in the game but it doesn't really message this correctly like if you were using the sword buffs, like the elemental buffs, uh-huh. mm-hmm. you're going to get bonus damage even if the bot, the enemy you're fighting is not weak against it. Oh, like yeah. The, the two times multiplier still mm-hmm. happens. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I, this is the point where I'm like, I don't know what this guy is weak to elemental wise, but you pretty much always want to have everybody hitting with the same element. But the other fucked up thing about it is that your party characters that have inherent elements, they will override that bonus, even if you give them the proper sword. So like Shion's like natural lightning, right? If you give her fire sword and you're with Ziggy, who's naturally fire and Momo, who is, you know, and you give her fire as well, the lightning will override the fire, even if you have fire sword on, which is ridiculous. Well, it's not like that all the time. It's specific attacks. That's what the symbols mean. You right, but have to then the that. sword, it overrides your sword bonus and then you lose your elemental attack count and you start the, from the bottom again. Right, the, the, the actual dis- issue is that Shion has multi-elements and if you're not watching her combo, that's why shit breaks because it's changing partway through. It's not that you are perma-fucked by specific characters. It's just that you you need to use the right character at the right time or just use non-elemental characters. Right, which is what I ended up doing a lot of the time is using, you know, Momo, Shion, and Jin because they're pretty much the best party. <laughs> they're complimentary. Oh, I, they, they're complimentary, but that the, the 
party to absolutely fucking melt this boss uh, is Cosmos Jr. and Jin because they right. all do such incredible amounts of damage once the Space Pope is staggered in, in the air. Momo does and more so, damage than Junior, weirdly. Really yeah, yeah that's why I stopped using Junior and used Momo. Yeah, Momo is the most broken character in this game, yeah. bar none. Momo has insane physical attack and insane ether stat. She only has like a thousand HP, but that she does crazy damage. I mean, the, yeah. the, and part of the reason why is because she has pierce damage, uh, which is right. what also what um, Junior has. So like if you have mm -hmm. someone weak to pierce and is someone you can knock into the air like you really want Junior and Momo in the party, you'll just destroy them. Yeah, so I I was... Um, I don't have Momo in the party because I like having three people who can assist with the juggling for the break so that I'm more flexible that way. And I was doing like 1,300 damage per hit with yeah. Junior. Uh, and that was, that was plenty. So yeah, I just ate through this dude's HP, even in the second phase. Momo it was so does fun. like 1,800. It's really busted. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, she's super, and super that's strong. not her third attack combo, because she has a combo that does increasing damage. She does more, way more damage on consecutive circle attacks, right? Like all the characters do, but her mm -hmm. scale's up mm -hmm. so hard because of your side. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so like, yeah, what I ended up doing a lot is I started making sure that Momo would land on the critical path. So like, usually, you, you know, you dump one person's stock and then dump the next person's stock and then dump the next person's stock. But what I would start doing is if I had the boost to do it, I would boost somebody else for a single hit so that Momo landed oh, yeah. on that yeah, yeah, yeah. turn and just absolutely chump, destroy. Chump move is to, once you're out of stock, hit one time. Pro move is to use the boost spell so you can boost Momo into doing more turns. Oh, good point. Because then you're not spending a boost, right? That. It's you, when you boost into the second character and they cast boost, it's free. It's just shuffling back to Momo. Right. Yeah, just the thing is, at a certain point, you only you'll only end up with single attacks, and then also... right, and that's the part I'm talking about where you boost back into Momo during that phase. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, unfortunately, you will lose your sword. I think like the sword buffs are all the buffs only last like three turns, so you end up yeah, losing that elemental bonus, but you still do a ton of damage. So, what level were we coming in here? <sighs> Mid forties, high forties. Okay, yeah, I was like, 40. <laughs> I was like 45-ish also. 31. I never, wow. The thing is, also, I never ran from a fight in the game. Oh, I ran from so many fights. I, don't, I can't. I don't, don't want to do that. I would have been 65 plus. <laughs> well, this is new game plus. Yeah, this is where I started taking off the limiters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Real, real big bummer how easy the end of the game is. Honestly, though, uh, like, I would rather have easy than uh, that over, like, extremely frustrating time tax. I don't which want it to be what... hard. I want it to be cool. Like, the last boss yeah. in Xenosaga 1 wasn't hard, but it was mechanically interesting. Well, listen, this, this was a very engaging and fun fight at level 31. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> it, maybe, it didn't have any, yeah, doesn't have any gimmicks, but uh, I had a good time. It felt really bad when I realized this was the last boss and I only got hit two times for 300 damage each. Mm, mm. Look, Chris, you could always do the post game. 
No, because Post the game, game is sucks. harder. Why would I do that? Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, if you're complaining, I mean, granted, the post game is not hard because of the bosses in my mind. No, well, no, it's hard because of the enemies. It's like uh-huh. for answer style post game. No, thank you. For answer is like the Persona 3. You mean the thing. answer for answer oh. is a really good armored core. Oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Uh, yeah, the answer. That's what the post game smacks of to me. I looked into it. and I'm like, I'm not going to do this. It is mm. not worth your time. Nah, I'm still doing it. I, I'm basically done with it. Fucking pitchdrop.wav. <laughs> <laughs> As notes, bitch. <laughs> Look, I can't say anything. I have spent conservatively 80 hours in the last two months of rating in order to make uh, seven hours of audio content. Yep. Or people who pay me 50 cents an episode. <laughs> Speaking of which, thanks to new patrons who have joined the show after finding some of the ads for this. We're going to cutscene mode, and despite the fact that you did just have a magical girl, a baby cowboy, and a fembot juggle an old man with knives to the spine, the party has lost, and Sergius is just chilling. He reminds us of the infinite energy device behind him and begins charging up the UMN phase cannon again, telling us, when you reach the afterlife, be sure and tell Helmer too. So, <laughs> that means, which is fucking great, love that line. So we know his next target is, quote, the government when he doesn't have a bunch of murder hobos in his living room. Unfortunately for him, the robot just turns off. And this is when three people in colorful robes teleport atop ESs. One's in red, one's in blue, which I think it's Virgil. And the one in black, who uh, I think I know who that is. Oh, I just wanted to say two things. One, this is extremely sick. This is a yeah. this is a good entrance. Yeah, 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 yeah. What if Sele uh-huh. was cool? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Second, I think we've we've called them the Testaments a bunch of times, but this is either the first or second time that someone actually says the word Testament. It is the first. Okay, yeah, and it's uh, the Pope is like <gasps> Testament. Virgil, as the only one we know about at this point, gets to do all the speaking, and he just destroys Sergius and Proto-Omega in a lightning bolt, which is sick. The room is in stunned silence until the man in the black just gives the fucking smuggest grin to Ziggy. And Ziggy recognizes this guy, flashes back to his family's blood all over the floor and this man, and screams, Voyager! While unloading a missile pod into the air at the guy. And this is where I feel bad. They cut so much out of the game that Ziggy's entire backstory is missing, because otherwise this probably would have landed pretty hard. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of this in the DS one. And part of our post game is I'm just going to add in Pied Piper notes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that Pied Piper is half of what got cut out of this game because it seems ridiculous. Oh, 1000 percent. 
like we made all the dungeons for the Ziggy shit and then just chopped it all out. Yep. Uh, they didn't even make the dungeons. That game's basically a visual novel. No, I mean the the post game dungeons. Like oh, we already oh, finished yeah. those. Yeah, I I do suspect at least one of them could have been. Absolute power move by the Black Testament, aka Voyager. Doesn't flinch, keeps grinning. The missiles just vanish into a shield in front of him. And then they pour out of space behind Ziggy, turning this move into a cell phone. And I fucking absolutely mark out. So good. <laughs> it's, it's very good. It's stylish. Sick as fuck, mm -hmm. dude. Let's go. The three men wave their hands and suddenly Albedo is crucified in an orb of red energy prostrate before the Zohar. He just begins cackling and goes full Udu with the device. And in response, Cosmos goes Udu, gets a sick new backing track, extends wings of light, and puts up a barrier to protect the party. Xion, under current conditions, I can hold the shield for three minutes. The Elsa is approaching. Please escape beyond the nearby wall. Ooh, we did this already. You, yeah, that's that's exactly it's uh, I am really shocked that that Shiana even questions it or sounds doubtful. She definitely allows Cosmos to self-sacrifice this time uh, instead of being like, no, I refuse. But she's just confused and like, wait, what? What are you saying? And it's just just say fine. Just say fine it, this time. We've done this. To be fair, if I had to look at those awful hair LEDs for like the entirety duration of this game, I would have let her go, too. <laughs> look but here's the thing she's not self-sacrificing in this case she's just protecting and then she leaves with the party <laughs> no she doesn't no, no she's no she's, she's not. not on the ship somehow i thought she was on no, the ship you can't, every you can talk to find everyone on the durandal but her mm -hmm. oh you know what i didn't even notice <laughs> there's even a comment in the cutscene that uh they think cosmos is why the expansion stops yeah gotcha Cosmos on the right side of history, anti-inflation. <laughs> Ziggy hears, oh, we need an escape route, huh? Drags himself off the floor and proceeds to slam his arm into the wall over Momo's protests, cracking it, and then accidentally finishing the job when his arm fucking explodes on his body from all the damage. Oh, yeah. Oh, so good. This is so good. Mm -hmm. It is peak anime but it oh, rules. Austin Walker voice <laughs> uh huh uh, the ship pulls up and we hard cut to everyone zooming away from a growing red cloud that is swallowing the ruins of Milsha and the Omega system the last thing before the scene goes black is Albedo's now cosmic voice screaming out finally Rubido I can join the eternal chain I can finally quench my thirst at the source and the orb consumes everything in its path. So at the bridge of the Durandal, after all of this, the party, without Cosmos, takes stock of the situation. The anomaly has stopped spreading for the moment, but everyone is pretty sure that, it's, that it could start at any moment, uh, and they are thinking that the reason why it has stopped is because of Cosmos uh, doing something inside of it. Junior tells Shelly to take over for him and leaves the bridge, giving, like, a really serious-looking, like, fist uh, clench as he descends the elevator after inquiring about the status of the Elsa, which is damaged but operational. We are now given very limited reign of the ship, but to move on, 
we head to the park area. Junior will stare out of the viewport for a bit until Shion comes up behind him. You're thinking about him, huh? Well, yeah, he keeps calling to me, and I can't just leave things like this between us. Uh, reminder that Junior is still consumed by guilt for breaking the chain and feels like he's the reason why Albedo touched Udu in the first place. There's a brief chat where nothing significant is really said, and then Junior asks how Ziggy is doing. Shion says that all she knows is Momo hasn't left his side since they returned, and she's leading his repairs single-handedly. Mm-hmm. So Junior decides to barge in on the robot surgery that's happening on Ziggy. Yuli Mizrahi is working on Ziggy as well. And uh, yeah, she's dropping her title, or I guess it'd be honorific, possibly. It says, just call you disrespect the Academy. And she's uh, explaining to Ziggy that his parts are so ancient, she basically had to scour the galaxy for connections to put him back together. And the... Repair manual for his bits are like an ancient text. Rude as hell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dude, dude, be old, right? And yeah. it, like he purposely wanted to be outmoded because he's he like didn't eighty care. years. Yeah, I thought it was like, like hundred something, something by now. with his with his natural life, his organic parts. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it's also just like. That this little scene makes his self or, you know, his 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 bullheaded but extremely sick fist punching move that much funnier because the reason why Momo eventually lets him is uh, he goes, it's cool. Even if I destroy myself here, they can always repair my body. And then uh, Yuli is like, it was really hard to repair your body. Yeah, because, yeah, last game she asked, you know, we make new parts. You want that? You just want to be a Geth fam? We can make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, no, uh, you know, <laughs> he's just really into that uh, vintage robot scene. Make me <laughs> steampunk, Yuli. Oh, oh no. <laughs> no. <laughs> just like a little slat in his forehead opens up and a monocle flops out. <laughs> I was thinking was... tipping his skull, m'lady. Yeah, I, I, I really wonder if Ziggy was the uh, the head of uh, Steam Powered Giraffe, whether or not that'd be an improvement. <laughs> uh, but anyway, this entire scene, by the way, Ziggy is uh, sitting around and it's mostly just a chunk of his body there, but his textures on his body have been darkened like a bad TV edit of an anime, just with a little red at the edge to, to make it look like that's where he was broken or he was injured it looks really really sloppy well they they just covered everything around the wound pitch black like when you cover a kid smoking or something in shadow mm -hmm. on a bad anime uh, yeah it's uh it's not good Junior picks up on their earlier conversation by absolutely roasting Ziggy saying uh I've never seen you get angry before I guess you are human after all. And to think you lectured me about keeping my cool in front of the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> Homie walks, saved your life. Walks uh, I right mean, in, just darts in on the guy. Fucking yeah. Chris Taylor-esque thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's like, oh yeah, you freaked the fuck out because you saw the murder of your family. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Joke's on you, guy. <laughs> Fucking baby shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good lord. But, uh, Ziggy takes his verbal abuse and goes, yeah, you got me. So, uh, 
go get him, champ. Do what you got to do out there. And uh, Junior tries to sneak out, but Momo catches him at the robot dock. And there's a very stock anime scene here of, you'll come back, right? Promise me. But instead of promising her, Junior uh, kicks his feet, looks her dead ass in the face, and literally hauls ass through the door in his robot. This is my favorite thing <laughs> so in the game. Funny. Fuck it. Peace out, it's, nerd. It's so <laughs> funny because confronted with the actual choice to have character growth or be an adult, he's just like, uh, 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 bye. Yeah. And like, reminder, this isn't a child. Yeah, he's like 30-something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Re- reject so O-growths. Do no growths. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but anyway, on the deck of the Durandal, Shion and Mary instantly realize, uh, well, this was inevitable as Junior cuts communications on his ES and Momo tries to, uh, make some excuses. He's like, did you know what was happening? And she totally fails at lying of, oh, he's just trying to go out on an exercise. And two older women are like, uh, sure, kid. Nice try. It would have been yeah. more successful if she just said bleep bloop and then made a bunch of back sounds. <laughs> uh, and, all right. And this is where uh, we are stopping uh, with Junior alone going to the space time anomaly. Ah, uh, so picking up where we left off last time with the retcon parade of the DS game. The Omega system emerged from the shell of Milsha. DS players got extra scenes with the aftermath of the Red and Black Testaments farting around in space. As the robot cracks a planet, the Testaments leave the two targets, Albedo and the Herman Richard duo alone. Because they stalled. They did their job. Albedo sees this and is like, I'm the Joker. I've got to go where the chaos is. <laughs> and the UTIC guys go, this is way above our pay grade. Let's go back to base. The The dungeon is still there. There are less mid-bosses. And at the end, you do not fight the Pope. Instead, battling three ESs versus Proto-Omega. Sick. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Do we have any closing thoughts on the Omega system? Boring as shit. Not a great dungeon. Shit dungeon. The ending that Xenosaga 2 deserves. Peace out, fucker. Never gonna think about you again. Except for next week. Except when we in uh, two weeks when you talk yeah. about the end. And I'm just going to leave halfway through yeah. the episode. <laughs> I wish. Uh-huh. And yeah, I, I think my feelings are clear. This is miserable and overlong. And once again, the mechanics are trying to We're supposed to, do... to be talking about the gate dungeon, not the game. <laughs> <laughs> the bosses all have mechanics that are trying to do something interesting and it's not landing. And it's wild to say these are original things that only happen here. And yet that's still somehow dull. Yeah, that's I mean, that's the biggest sin here is that like it's not even rage inducing bullshit this time that makes this bad like it's not even cheapness or 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 extreme fuck off energy it's just long and bland the whole damn time i mean really the only interesting bit here are like the the like mini boss enemies in the crystals if you're unfortunate enough to fight one (laughs) and not Mm -hmm. unprepared yeah 
I had a decent time fighting the last boss, and I liked the concept of fighting the church. I I, I do have to give props to to that church fight just for for the visuals alone. But I mean, it's you know. just making the figurative literal. Yeah, right. You've heard of killing God. Now kill the church. Well, I mean, that's what you're doing, right? You are fighting the church, and you are yeah. also literally fighting the church. Yes, it's good. Let's do commercials. Tell me commercials. So, you can listen to us talk about anime on Boku No Stop. There's a free feed where we are still covering Monster and will for another six months at least. <laughs> and we are nearing the end of G Gundam on the premium version for patrons only. So, I believe, is that a $5? Yeah. Is that right, Chris? This Patreon of mine burns yeah. with a $5. <laughs> Mm-hmm. All right. Monthly, in well fact. Played. Telling me to buy cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me, my writing, and any other projects I do at hellscaper.com. You can check out my SoundCloud at Catastrophizer. <laughs> 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 You're really like channeling Chris Taylor for a second there, being like, you can just check out my SoundCloud. I'm not going to fucking tell you what it is. Parentheses. Wow, this is blowing up. <laughs> I thought that was the last episode everything was blowing yeah. up. Damn it. You can listen to Ryan Ice Podcast Icons and Icons by visiting our Patreon at pitchdrop.cash and kicking in as little as a buck a month. It's this podcast, but about Final Fantasy XIV, the MMO, finally free of rating. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Ugh. That's all until next time. We'll be talking about everything left in the game, the space-time anomaly, the ending, and the post-game fallout. Peace out, fuckers. See ya. Farewell. See ya. <laughs>